Welcome to With You in the NICU, a podcast for infant patients' parents and practitioners. Each episode aims to last as long as a pumping session for mom, or you could listen to several while you practice skin-to-skin with baby. With You in the NICU is produced by the Canadian Premature Babies Foundation. This episode is made possible by presenting sponsor Medela with support from AbbVie and Prolacta. Your host for With You in the NICU is Jenna Morton, a parenting journalist and mother of two preemie boys. I'm Jenna Morton, your host and mom to two NICU graduates. Today we're talking about something that's on the mind of every preemie parent during their NICU days. When do we get to go home? It's a strange mix of emotions. You're yearning to leave, yet anxious to leave the security of doctors and nurses and constant monitoring. To talk a little bit about preparing for this transition, we've invited Dr. Paige Church to the past. Dr. Church is a neonatologist and developmental pediatrician at Toronto's Sunnybrook Health Sciences Centre. Hello. Hello. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you so much for agreeing to be one of our guests. I know that most of the people listening to this cast are sitting right there in the NICU bedside right now, probably wondering about that day when they get to go home. And we know that every baby, every family is very different, but what are some of the common milestones that baby will have to meet before it even really becomes a topic for the family? That's a great question. And I think that we in the ICU, we sort of create this myth that your baby will go home around their due date or around 40 weeks or around this weight. And that sets up an expectation that can't be matched. And so what I try a lot to talk about with our families is your baby is going to tell us when they're ready to go. And there are developmental milestones that I'd like to see them accomplishing, and they can accomplish those three weeks before their due date. They can accomplish them months after their due date. But if we focus on their developmental progression, then I think it makes it a little bit easier, and you can just check off the accomplishments. So the big ones that I I would like to see and that I think everybody would expect is that the baby can tolerate being out of the isolate or the incubator without losing weight and without getting cold or having spells, just because that requires a little bit more work for the baby. Um, And sometimes how they show that is they get cold or they have spells. The other thing is they ideally are able to eat however they're eating, that they're safely eating and they're gaining weight. Some babies go home with tubes, but as long as their their regimen is safe and the parents feel comfortable with it and their um, weight gain is successful, they're good to go on that one. You know, if they're having spells, then then the spells have ended or we have monitors set up so that we can send you home safely and let let those be monitored at home. Uh, No longer needing uh, any phototherapy or any specialized NICU equipment to provide care. I think those are the big ones. You know, ideally, I would like to see that they can sit in a car seat um, for a period of time safely with whatever the the needs are that the child has. Um, If they're going home on a monitor, then we obviously will just keep the monitor on, but they they should be able to tolerate a car seat safely. I think those are the big ones. Those seem like the ones I remember from my days. (laughs) That that car seat test was always a a big focus Uh for us. Dreaded car seat test. Yes. Yes. Can can, can we get there and then can can we do it? And I think that's probably one of the hardest parts about being a parent of a child in the NICU is that you don't have any control over that and you, you want to do something to help your baby meet those milestones, but what can you do to help them? What, what do you tell your patients who are, who are asking, how can I help meet those milestones? Um, that's a great question. I mean, to some degree, it's a harsh introduction to parenting. I mean, as the parent of a 12-year-old, I have no 
very little control over a lot of things she does. So, you know, we sort of suspend ourselves to our children in a way that it, it can be hard. But in general, I prefer that parents really focus on establishing a safe feeding plan and establishing that the baby can be away from the isolate without losing weight. Those are key things that need to be accomplished and they aren't going to be accomplished overnight. I don't like to introduce exercises or things that are going to make the baby more tired because in my mind, going home is the most important thing. That's the most beneficial thing, being with, with one's parents. So we can always do the exercise after. That being said, if the institution is an institution that requires a car seat test, I think it's beneficial once the baby's probably at you know 60-70% oral feeds or has a safe feeding plan to do some practice times in the car seat for five minutes, three minutes, 10 minutes, just because it is a different posture and babies can sometimes find it a little bit stressful and I think the practice can be good, but not until you're getting close to the finish line because that's work and that work will take away from being able to go home. I think that's really good advice. It, it's hard to think of just being as work, but when you're a preemie, that, that's a lot of work. <laughs> it is a lot of work. I mean, the other thing, and, and this has been, Sunnybrook has been very kind to uh, consider my, my uh, request, um, is that I encourage parents to bring a stroller in. Take your baby, take the portable monitor, go for a walk. Get used to not being in the room with the nurse, have the monitor with you. Just get used to getting some space between you and the equipment. And that to me is exercise for everybody. It's exercise for the mom. It's exercise for us as medical professionals to let you sort of take off. But I think it's so valuable because we're not going home with you and we all need to get used to separating. So, you know, one of our moms, she went for pretty long walks. One of the nurses was sure she saw her a good kilometer from the hospital. And I just turned a blind eye and said, you know what? She's going to be a lot more than that in a couple of days. So let her go. And it worked. But I guess that's not necessarily completely on the up and up with uh, hospital safety. But I think those building those small steps is important. And I think it's not something that we always talk about in terms of the transition plan and, and learning how to let go. Like you say, for both parts, for, for the staff, I know it's hard too, because they've been taking care of these children and feel very connected to them. And it can be very hard, I think, for them to let go as well. Yeah. And the moms, I mean, in the dads, we get so connected to the parents too, that when the room is empty, it's sort of a little bit of a loss for us. We're like, oh, I left. We're happy for you, but uh, you know, it's still a bit sad. So I think it's good for everybody. And um, the other thing is, if there are things that need to be done, if, you know, a parent needs a good rest, if there's stuff you still haven't done that you've been waiting to do, it's a great time to just step away and get it done. Because when you have your baby at home, your baby's yours and we're not there. And sometimes, you know, I get parents that get really frustrated when they're at the 20% mark with the feeds and they're sort of like, where are we? Why aren't we moving faster? And I'm like, you know what, maybe this is a good day to take a step away, go for a walk, take, take care of some stuff at home and come back because we can't rush the babies. The babies are going to do it on their schedule. When a parent does make that transition and they have gone home, what are some of the milestones and the, the developmental markers that they should start watching for then with their preemie? Now, that's a really good question, and I'm now trying to um, say this, uh, remember to say it to all my parents as they're leaving, is I'm just thrilled if you get home and the baby manages to stay home, there aren't any issues, there's no need to go to the emergency room or the hospital for something. If there are, then by all means, you have to go. But if we can avoid that, we've hit the ball out of the park. Just because I think for parents to go back, it's not that the baby suffers some deterioration as a result of that. Often it's it's more settling in and, and not a major deal, but 
I think for parents, it's great to build that sense of, yes, we did it and we're home. And so that's all I want. I don't care if the baby, I care that the baby feeds and has wet diapers. I don't care how much. I, I don't care if the baby gains weight. I just want home, safe, happy. When we have you come back to clinic, then we'll start to look at those things and start to look at the weight gain. And But for the first week, if you can just get home and be happy, I'm thrilled. I had one baby that was discharged a couple of weeks ago and, and they went to see their doctor and their doctor was all upset because they'd only gained 400 grams in like 10 days or 14 days. And I was like, that's awesome. So I think the other thing is we have to remember the community providers are not used to taking in these little, little babies. I need to remember to say to parents, don't worry if you can just get home not be back in the hospital, feel comfortable with your baby, feel like you know what you're doing, we've hit it out of the park. The rest will come. It's tiring for babies to go home. It's more noise, more sensory experiences. And all of that, uh, you know, makes them slow down a little bit. They're not as hungry. They're not as aggressive with their feeds. But if they're hydrated, meaning they have enough liquid in their body and they're making wet diapers, you know, six times a day, and they um, are feeding and they're acting like they enjoy it, whatever method it is, we've hit a success. That's all I want. That's fantastic advice. That, that's a very good way to look at it, to set yourself up for success, I think. Yeah. I think to expect more is unfair of the baby. You know, That little person yeah. has gone through a lot. We have to make sure that our expectations are reasonable. And then we start to turn up the, the volume and ask them to do more, but not right away. For the parents who are listening to this that are sitting there you know, in the, in the early days in the NICU right now, what do you want them to keep at the forefront of their mind? Hope. Hope. I see amazing things every day and I see things that blow my mind. And, you know, as a medical provider, I also have the list of things I have to worry about. So I tell families, I'm going to hope with my heart and let me be the worrier with my head. If we don't have that, what do we have? And I, I think, you know, the other thing is to be realistic and offer something that's not so saccharine. Um, this is an important opportunity to have really big conversations with your partner about life, about what you want, about where you want to be, how you see your family, what sort of resources you have, what you need, and, and then, you know, absorb the conversations and, and recognize that it's going to be an up and down. The last thing is, and I try to tell all families this, is that you, you hear so much on rounds that's technical and jargony and it makes no sense, frankly. Half the time, I'll be honest, it doesn't really make sense to me. But the most important question I want to hear parents asking at the end of the rounds when they are sort of getting the wrap up is, is my baby doing what they're supposed to for their gestational age? If the answer is yes, you're awesome. It's intimidating for a 23 baby. They're on ventilators, they're, they're requiring dietary support, but that's normal for a 23-weeker. We wouldn't expect a 23-week baby to do more. So when you put it in that perspective, it sort of normalizes it and it says, well, they're doing what they need to do and that's great. So that, I think, is a really important question. And if the answer is no, then we need to know what are they doing that's not what you expect? Why are they not doing it? And is it something that can be easily solved? And I think it helps families sort of put it in perspective because the ICU environment is intimidating and it's overwhelming. And, but yet so much of it is just supportive of normal development. We're just trying to make them develop outside of the uterus. So artificial, but we're still trying to promote as much normal development as we can. I think a lot of times parents still have that fear of the medical world. It's not language that they're used to. It's not an environment that they're used to. And it's so overwhelming yeah. that it can be so hard to be that advocate for yourself and your child because you've just been thrown into this crazy world that you were not necessarily expecting. So yeah. I think having parents here 
a professional like you speaking so clearly and non-jargony is exactly what will make a big difference for people and hopefully make them realize that whoever is around them in their NICU is a person that they can just talk to and they don't need to be intimidated to ask those questions. No, they shouldn't be. I mean, I don't think there is normal. I'm a big believer in that there's a huge spectrum of colors in this world and we should, I love it. Um, And this is sort of our version of what's what we know. And for us, it is really normal. And if I meet a 23 week or a 24 week baby who doesn't need a ventilator, I'm not sure I understand them. So developmentally, I think we should expect them to only do what they can do and support them and then watch them outgrow it. That's exactly what we want. And there's going to be little moments where they may not, you know, they may not like it. But uh, if we can sort of work those things out with fair ease, then, then we've, had a, we've been successful. Is there anything that we haven't touched on that you want to say to parents about that transition period? Take care of yourself. Don't be afraid to ask us for anything. We're so desperate to help. We just forget that um, we have our routines and we forget it's not your routine yet. Um, I have a great colleague who's from Jordan. And she does this great chat. We all do chats with families, you know, all the time, but specifically around four or five days, we try to sort of loop in and really sit down and have a big chat. And her version of it is she says, okay, you are a house guest. You're no longer a house guest. You're my, you're, you're my family member. How are you going to live here for three or four months? Like, what do we need to do? And I think it's a nice way. You are going to be living with us and uh, we should be doing the best we can by you. And we need to be reminded if we're not, and that should be okay. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk. Thank you. Take care. Dr. Paige Church is a neonatologist and a developmental pediatrician at Toronto Sunnybrook Health Sciences Centre. With You in the NICU is created to keep pumping mothers and others company in and out of the NICU. It is produced for the Canadian Premature Babies Foundation by Jenna Morton and Tosh Taylor. Financial assistance is provided through education grants from presenting sponsor Medela with support from AbbVie and Prolacta. You can learn more about the Canadian Premature Babies Foundation by following them on Facebook or online at cpbf-fbpc.org.